Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. We invite you to open your Bibles again to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study through this wonderful book. After describing who Jesus is and why he is worthy of our worship, beginning in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul teaches when we truly know and embrace the living Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, the new life that we have in him will, will be reflected in the way that we relate to others. It'll be reflected in the way that we relate to our friends and our church community, to our spouse and our family, and also to the people that we work with. And at present, we are looking at what being in Christ looks like in our work. Now, in the passage that we're going to read together in a moment, you're going to notice that it's addressed to slaves. And as I explained in greater detail last time, it's important that we understand that even though Paul's addressing slaves here, he is not condoning slavery. In fact, over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul clearly condemns slavery. In this passage, he is simply recognizing slavery as a reality in that day and instructing both slaves and slave owners who have become Christ followers how they are to relate to one another going forward now that their identity is in Jesus Christ and now that they are all equal and one in Christ. And so, as we've seen, the principles that Paul gives here, although directed to slaves and to slave owners, can be applied to employers and employees today in our culture. And so with that in mind, would you stand with me and join me in reading our scripture lesson today? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let us pray. Again, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words. We believe these words are from you. We ask that you would give understanding and enlightenment on the scriptures that we've just read together. Lord, you would focus our minds. You would prepare our hearts, Lord, for what it is you want to say to us. And Lord, you would give us the courage and the will to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to start out by asking you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think the secret is to long life. 
the secret to long life. Go ahead, take a moment. All right, so what is the secret to long life? Some people believe it is the ability to forgive. Others believe it's healthy eating and exercise. Some believe it's honoring your parents. One fellow got real poetic and said the secret to a happy life is a happy wife. I think that's right up there. Uh, now, all these play a role, of course, but according to the experts, the number one indicator of long life is work satisfaction, enjoying or being content in your work. Okay, so now that you know that, I'm wondering how many of you feel that you may die at any moment. <laughs> Research shows that two out of three people would change their job or their work if they could. Two out of three. Now that's truly unfortunate because on average, you know, we spend nearly half of our lives working in one way or another. Now this is not what God intended our experience of work to be, of course. And it doesn't need to be if we understand and embrace God's original plan for work, which we kind of reviewed last time. The Bible spells out several truths concerning work. First of all, God intended work to be a good thing. Genesis 1 tells us that God himself works. He created the universe and the earth for our enjoyment. And Colossians 1.17 says that God continues to work. He continues to sustain and continues to hold the universe together. God intended work to be a gift, a source of immense blessing and fulfillment in our lives. He did not intend it to be a curse the way some people think. He designed us with abilities and skills and intelligence and creative minds so that we could be co-workers with him in taking care of his creation but also to bless other people that he created. Now, by the way, I remind you again that when I use the word work, I'm not just referring to being employed at a typical nine-to-five job. When I talk of work, I'm also referring to the homemaker who manages a family in a home, the student who studies, and the volunteer who gives of uh, their time and their abilities to serve other people in some way. You may be unemployed right now, but when you serve others and you volunteer, you are working, and folks, that matters to God. That's the first major truth we see in scriptures. God intended work to be a good thing. The second major truth we see in scriptures regarding work is this. God's plan for work was broken by sin. Sin at its core is missing the divine purpose for which we were created. In explaining sin, I just heard Rabbi Zacharias uh, give an example. He said when a car, for example, is used to run down and to kill people, 
its original purpose has been violated. In the same way, when we choose to live our lives the way that we want, rather than the way that God intended for us to live, we are violating the purpose for which we were created. And folks, that is sin. In Genesis, we read that when our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to go against God's intended purpose for their lives, their relationship with God and one another was fractured. And with it, God's original plan and intention for his creation was broken, including his plan for work. Sin negatively impacted work in at least three ways. It made work a struggle. It made work feel futile. And it made work an idol. Sin did a real number on work, but we need not despair because of a third major truth we see in Scripture, and that is Jesus Christ brought meaning back to our work. Oh, make no mistake, God did not remove the painful, sweaty part of work, but in Christ, he did replace the meaninglessness. You see, when you embrace Christ as Lord by faith and develop a close relationship with him, he's going to rub off on you. Romans 12, 2 describes it this way. Over time, how we see our work, our circumstances at work will be transformed. Our mind will be renewed by the truth of Christ himself and his eternal perspective about life and about work will transform us. Let me drill down a little deeper and explain how Jesus restores the devastation that sin brought to work and how he gives meaning back to our work. First of all, Genesis 3.17 explains that sin made work a struggle. Adam and Eve's rebellion against uh, the Lord resulted in a broken world, a world that was now filled with weeds and grasshoppers and frost and countless other issues requiring toil and sweat and frustration in our work. Their relationship with God and, and with one another was fractured, leading to pride and envy and fear and insecurity within us and all the other aspects of emotional ill health, resulting in relationships increasingly being characterized by conflict and hurt. But here's the good news. Jesus replaces the struggle of work with his eternal perspective. Look at Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You may be struggling with how your company or your boss or your fellow employees are treating you. You may be feeling totally bored in your work, feeling your work is meaningless, not appreciated by anyone. But Jesus Christ replaces those struggles by reminding us of his eternal perspective. That we are children of the king. That we aren't working for our boss or for the applause or the recognition of other people. No, we're working for the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us uh, that when we give our best, 
Whether that is in our place of employment or as a homemaker, as a student, as a volunteer, we are actually worshiping God through our work. And he also reminds us while we're worshiping God through our work, he is working in us. He's actually transforming us into the image of his son Jesus. He's developing our servant heart through us faithfully volunteering, for example, while we wait for a door of employment to open. He's developing patience within us through that irritating worker, co-worker. He's developing humility in us through our boss who consistently neglects to compliment us, spend time with us, or recognize and reward our hard work. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek work that's more aligned with our passion or how we're wired up or maybe in a more uh, healthy work environment. But we need to be certain it isn't pride or insecurity or fear of failure that's behind our wanting to quit. Because we're just going to take those issues with us into our next work environment. That's the first thing that Jesus does. He replaces the struggle of work with his eternal perspective that we are ultimately working for him. Secondly, the Bible teaches that sin made work futile. In Genesis 3.19, God said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. That verse reminds us that sin brought the curse of death into the world, making work futile. King Solomon saw the futility of work in his life. He denied himself nothing. His professional success, his wealth, was greater than all of his contemporaries, and yet he knew that one day he would die and he'd leave it all behind. In Ecclesiastes, he, he writes, Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. We all want to make some kind of impact through our work. But the reality is all the results of our work will one day be wiped away by history. Unless there's a God. The good news is that Jesus brings meaning back to work by replacing the futility of work with his call. In our culture, we often use the words vocation and occupation interchangeably. I mean, if I was to ask a carpenter, for example, What's your, what is your occupation? He'd likely say, well, I'm a carpenter. If I was to ask him, well, what's your vocation? He'd probably look at me a little strange and say, well, I just said it's... I'm a carpenter. And yet the word vocation in the original language means to call. A vocation is literally a calling. 
So what has God called us to as his followers? We've been called to be his representatives in the world, to point people to our Lord through our lives and through our work. We have all been called to be his missionaries wherever it is we work and live. Now, church, what that means practically is that all work is equally valuable to God. In other words, there are no first-class and second-class Christians because of our varying occupations, because we all have the same vocation or calling. You see, our culture says the CEO position is more valuable than the middle manager or the janitor in the company. But not so in God's kingdom. He turns all of that upside down. In God's eyes, our calling makes the person at the bottom or at the middle of the corporate ladder as special and valuable as the CEO. Because both belong to Jesus Christ, both are one in Christ, and both are called to serve and to represent Christ through their lives and their work, whatever it is. Our calling makes the person who is unemployed but faithfully working as a volunteer, for example, as special and as valuable as the employed person because both are one in Christ. Both are called to point people to Christ. The question is, do you believe this? If you're a homemaker, do you believe that in God's eyes your work is as significant as the woman who is president of the corporation? If you're a middle manager or a custodian, do you believe that in God's eyes your work is as significant as the CEO of your company? If you're unemployed, do you believe that in God's eyes your work as a volunteer right now as you're waiting for work is as significant as the person who's employed? In the words of Romans 12, has your mind been renewed? Has it been transformed with the truth of God's word? Are you living every day in the kingdom of God? or in the kingdom of this world in terms of how you think about the value of your work. Friend, if you believe that the person higher up in the company is more valuable than you are, or if you find yourself envying the person in another line of work, if you're discontented and unable to enjoy and bloom in the situation that you're in because you're obsessed with being promoted or moving up the org chart and you're going to be devastated if you're not, then you have bought into the mindset of the kingdom of this world. Church, trust me. We will never know the joy, the peace, the contentment and satisfaction that Jesus came to give us until we put our whole trust in him and believe what he says about life and what really matters in life until we truly get a kingdom mindset. The Bible teaches that in Christ, we're all one. 
that in his kingdom, our work is, is not only valuable to him, but our work, whatever status may be in our culture, is equally valuable to him. Because even though we have different jobs or occupations as his children, we all have the same calling or vocation. And that is to point people to the Jesus that we know and love. So how do we point people to Jesus through our work? Well, that's addressed here in our scripture lesson. Look at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And Paul is saying here, we point people to Jesus if we do two things. First of all, by doing good work. And secondly, by having a Christ-like attitude in our work. Let me unpack that a little more. First of all, you point people to Jesus when you do your work to the best of your ability. Notice Paul writes here, obey your earthly masters in everything. So what does it mean to obey your employer in everything? Well, it means this. Obey them in everything. Now, of course, in light of the rest of Scripture, this doesn't mean that we're being asked to obey our boss if he or she calls us to do something illegal or immoral or something that would cause us to compromise our faith in some way. But outside of that, we are to do what we're asked to do, and not with a belligerent attitude, but with a sincere spirit, as unto the Lord. We do not get to choose what things we will do and won't do. If we don't want to do the things that we're asked to do, then we have a decision to make. First of all, we can do it for the Lord, as Paul says here in verse 23, or we can resign and we can look for other work. But make no mistake, we will not be of much influence for Christ or even receive the favor and the blessing of Christ if we're not following through on the assignments and the instructions given to us by those in authority over us, or if we do it with a belligerent, uncooperative attitude. George Barna and George Gallup have conducted numerous surveys over the years um, on people's faith and how people's faith impacts their work. And the results have repeatedly shown that there's very little behavioral difference between Christians and non-Christians on the job. And that is truly unfortunate because Christians should be the best workers. I mean, look at verse 23. Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Working at something with all of your heart means that we are called to serve our bosses and our customers with the same passion and devotion with which we serve and worship God. Practically, this means be conscientious about your work. Throw yourself into it. Work with enthusiasm. Do your job well. 
Keep learning and growing in your work. Strive to improve your skills in whatever you do. Do it as if you're doing it for Christ himself. Because you are. Teachers, teach your classes if Jesus were in your class. Custodians, clean and maintain your building. Nurses, care for your patients. Mechanics, service and repair cars. Cooks, prepare meals. Volunteers, give your best as if you were serving Jesus himself. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul challenges his disciple, Timothy, to be the best pastor he can be. To set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then in verse 15, he sums it all up by saying, be diligent to these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Paul's instructions here to Timothy applies to all workers. Be diligent in your work. Show up on time. Do what's expected and then some. Be humble. Be ethical. Be honest in your work. Keep your word. Do what you say you will do. And as Paul says here in verse 22, do it. Do what you have been asked to do, whether those in authority over you are watching you or not. Give your very best. And be careful not to waste time by using company time to surf on the net or having long conversations with fellow employees over frivolous non-work-related subjects. Your employers deserve your very best for the hours that you're being paid for. You may think you're getting away with subpar performance, But your heavenly Father sees it all. And his favor and his blessing will not be with those who are dishonest or unfaithful in their work and essentially cheating their company and those who are in authority over them. Now, to be clear, we're not talking here about being a workaholic in order to please others. No, we're talking about a person who has a healthy attitude toward their work who has a healthy attitude of work-family balance, work-fun balance, and who finds employment in their work and enjoyment in their work, if for no other reason, but because they are, as Paul says here in verse 23, working for the Lord, and therefore are not repulsed by the idea of doing more than is expected. Paul implies here that at the end of the day, Christ's followers should be able to say, Lord, you know my heart. I've given you my very best work today. And so first of all, you point people to Jesus when you do your work to the best of your ability. In short, when you do good work. Secondly, you point people to Jesus when you do your work with a Christ-like attitude. Look at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Notice Paul says here, we're to do our work with sincerity of heart. 
In other words, in addition to doing good and faithful work, if we want to draw others to Christ in our work, we need to reflect Christ's attitude in our work. By doing it with a sincere heart, by genuinely respecting and cooperating with those that we work with, those who we work for, and those who work for us. If you look over at chapter 4, verse 1, Paul reminds employers that they're ultimately accountable to God. He doesn't say it here, but elsewhere, Scripture makes it pretty clear that your company that you think you own, the, the reality is God owns your company, and you're ultimately accountable to Him. And so whether we're an employer or an employee, if we want to draw other people that we work with to Christ, we need to resolve to treat others the way that we would want to be treated. When we are loving and gracious in the way that we relate to one another, in our work environment, or in our volunteering, volunteering, or wherever it is we work. When we are loving and gracious in the way that we relate to one another, when we treat one another fairly, when we seek to resolve conflicts quickly, when we extend grace with others who drop the ball, when we give others the benefit of the doubt, when we believe the best of others rather than the worst, when we speak well of others and refuse to throw them under the bus even though we may have good reason to, when we take the time to sit down and listen to others when they're at the end of their rope, when we pray for others and serve them in times of failure and loss, when we bless others with an encouraging word, an encouraging note, a coffee, or a gift card, people are going to start to notice. And when you're praying for them, they're going to start wondering why you are the way you are. When we love our bosses, our employees, our co-workers this way, we, we won't have to change their screensaver to John 3.16 you know, to try to point them to Christ. We won't have to use company time, time that the company's paying us to do a job to preach to them every day. No, our good and faithful work and our Christ-like attitude are going to preach a sermon far better than we ever could. And one day, someone will be so impacted by our good work and our good works, they will approach us about it. And we'll be able to give them a good word about the Jesus that means so much to us. Church, I remind you that God makes no mistakes. You are where you're at at this point in time for a reason. You may think that you're there solely to get a paycheck. 
You may think that you're in school solely to learn and to pass the course. You may think that you're volunteering solely to do something with your time until you can find work. But have you ever considered that he has you there right now because you may be the closest that your coworkers or your boss or your fellow students or the people that you're serving will ever get to seeing firsthand what Jesus is like? That you may be the only Bible they ever read? You know, it isn't just pastors and missionaries who are called. We're all called by our Lord to be salt and light in and through our work. And if we really get that, our work will never feel futile again. I'll close with this. A few years ago, I talked to a fellow who for years had oriented his life around the day that he would retire and he and his wife would move south to enjoy warmer weather, play golf lots, live a slower, simpler life. Well, the day finally came. They moved south as planned. They golfed almost every day. They rested and relaxed and did the things they always dreamed of doing. And he said to me about eight months into this, he was getting ready to play 18 holes of golf again when he was overcome with a deep sense of emptiness and boredom. And he said to himself, I can't live like this the rest of my life. You see, he learned a truth that we will all come to understand sooner or later in life. And it's this. We will never know true joy, satisfaction, or fulfillment in our work or in our retirement or in our life until we embrace Christ and we live out his call in our lives. Christ and his call takes the futility. It takes the meaninglessness out of our work. It also takes it the meaninglessness out of our life and our retirement. We need to understand that even if we're wealthy and we don't need to work, God didn't put us on earth just to take up space, to breathe air and to live for ourselves. God created us for a purpose, to make some kind of contribution with our life and our work for his glory. And if we don't live out the purpose for which we were created, if we don't use the resources, if we don't exercise the gifts and the talents God's given to us for his glory and to advance his kingdom, we'll never know the joy or fulfillment or the faith-building adventures that God wanted us to experience. And one day we're going to join this fellow that talked to me. We're going to join Solomon and saying, you know what? It's all meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Oh, God wants us to take time for leisure, recreation, and rest. 
But even that's for a purpose. That we'd be refreshed, we'd be replenished so that we can continue the work that he's called us to. And of course, when we come to retirement age and our strength wanes somewhat, it's understandable that we will slow down, we'll gear down a bit. But the Lord still calls us to use what he's given to us to make a difference in some way by working, by giving. Whether we're paid or whether we're volunteering our time. Church, if you're bored with your work or if like Solomon, you've come to realize the futility in your work, imagine how all of that could change if you were to embrace God's will in your life. That you are where you are to point people to Jesus through your Christ-like attitude and through the work you do at the office or at home or as a volunteer. Imagine how things could change if you were to embrace the conviction that you are working for God, not for your boss. If you were to believe that everything you do in Jesus' name is not in vain, and if you decide today that you're going to live and work in such a way that will gain the respect of those who know you and who work with you in Jesus' name. Imagine how meaningful and exciting your work would become, whatever that work might be, if one of your coworkers or, or someone you're serving were to turn to you and ask, why are you the way that you are? Why are you so kind, so generous, so helpful, so gracious? Imagine how alive you would feel to be able to tell them how Jesus has made all the difference in your life. And invite them out for lunch to carry on the conversation. Perhaps invite them to hear testimonies of life change, which we hear so often at our night of worship, which is happening next Sunday night or to bring them to our Christmas concerts or our Christmas Eve services. Imagine if all of us as Christians all over this city were to get up and live with mission and purpose every single day, that we would understand we're all missionaries wherever it is we go, wherever it is we work, and that Christ's influence would be felt in every business, in every government agency, in every school and university, in every institution and place of employment all over our city. And as a result, every day we would hear stories of people being introduced to our Lord. Friends, you matter to God. Your work matters to God. And so do the people that you work with. God has you there to be the best worker you can be and also to point people to Jesus through your Christ-like life and spirit. May it be so in our lives to the glory of God and for the sake of a world who needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand for closing prayer?
Let's open our hands to the Lord again. Let's just ask him those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what is it that you want me to do about it? What's one step you want me to take? What's one attitude you want me to change? Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and thanks again today for the freedom that is ours through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for not only invading our lives, but for making all things new. Thank you for bringing meaning back to work, meaning back to our lives, for the reminder that our work, whatever it may be, really matters to you and that you have called us to be your representatives to the people in our sphere of influence including those we work with I pray that you would help us to do our work to the best of our ability and to do it with a Christ-like spirit and I pray specifically for those who need employment Pray that you would honor their sincerity and help them to find work. That, and that in the meantime, God, that you would remind them that your calling for them hasn't changed. And that you will use them through their life and through their service in this time of waiting to encourage and impact the lives of many. And Lord, I pray again for myself, for our entire church, that we would do our work whether it's paid or unpaid, with our calling in mind. That we would do our work to the best of our ability with enthusiasm and with love and sensitivity to others for your glory and for the sake of those who need the Lord Jesus. For we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.